There are no more barriers to cross. All I have in common with the uncontrollable and the insane, the vicious and the evil, all the mayhem I have caused and my utter indifference toward it, I have now surpassed. My pain is constant and sharp, and I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape. But even after admitting this, there is no catharsis. My punishment continues to elude me, and I gain no deeper knowledge of myself. No new knowledge can be extracted from my telling. This confession has meant nothing. What's going on, everyone? I'm Heath. And I'm Jay. You're listening to Host of Horrors Podcast, where we discuss and review horror films based off of predetermined themes of the month. Jay! Fuck this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm... Once again, I am left trying to process how shit works. Because it feels like women in horror just... They just know how to just take shit. And just warp it into just some kind of really, really fuckity, fuckity fucked up places. And this movie is a, a classic that I did not really watch until today. And, man. But, like, you knew about it. Like, you like, got some of the references. Yeah. And- I knew it existed and I realized the reference, but only because it's been parodied so much that I was like, okay. I recognize a few of these things, so I think I just want to get right into it because I just feel like I don't know what don't, to say. Don't know what to process yet. I don't know <laughs> how to process my feelings about this film yet. So, so yeah, yeah, we're just gonna go into it. We're jumping right into the final film of this month, our final female-directed horror movie, directed by Mary Heron. It is 2000's American Psycho, starring Christian Bell. You know what, though? Before we start, it is so weird now seeing films from 20 years ago that deal with such topical things, such as, like, business, because this is all pre-9-11. Yeah. (laughs) It feels like life was so much simpler before 9-11. Well, it also, (laughs) it's pre-9-11, but it's also, it takes place in, like, the date is 1987. So, oh, okay, so it does take place in the eighties. Yeah, it's eighty-seven. Um, it it's the big Wall Street booming. You know, businessmen mm-hmm. taking over. It, it's before the nineties kind of like brought everything back down to earth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the late eighties were a big boon and just cocaine and business suits. Cocaine, business suits, and all of the just for like either really good or really bad trades. <laughs> you can see. And I think you calm down. I'm trying to do drugs over here. (laughs) Oh my god, that okay. So Mary Heron, I've never, I I feel like I've never really heard of the name, but I feel like her work is so iconic from just this movie alone that you may not know her name, but you know where her work is. So kudos to her. Like as much as I'm was like eh about this film, and honestly, this is the only film of hers. Actually, hold on. 
this is probably like the only few films that it's it's her, I really know of hers. It's her major film. Like she has some other ones. Um, yeah, I see that she's done Alice, Al- Alias Grace, Anna Nicole, Moth Diaries, Charlie Says, which looks like to be one of her latest ones. Honestly, she looks like one of the like a mainstream like woman in horror from the looks of it because like most of her stuff deals with like horror or drama. Yeah, but and she seems like the type of person that picks her projects or, you know, I feel like maybe she gets approached for a project, but she picks and chooses. She does what she wants to do. Man, I wish that were me. <laughs> <laughs> so, going into just this film. So, whenever he told me told me like what to get into, he was saying like, "Oh, this base is like Fight Club meets like no, okay, so, wait, like Fight Club meets what? Like okay, so I had I have a love hate relationship with this film because I love it artistically, but I hate the fans that it has. So, for example, this film to me is a huge satire on toxic masculinity and what it means to be a quote unquote man." It's the same thing as Fight Club. Fight Club is a satire on consumerism and toxic masculinity when you don't feel like you're a man. So where American Psycho is, this is how you should be as a man. Fight Club is like, society is degrading you as a man and we should take it back. But the fans of both of those movies are the exact same people that those movies poke fun of. And I hate that with a passion because I have tried to explain certain little key notes on why they shouldn't like the movies for the reasons that they do. And they're like, oh, I, I just don't get that whatsoever. I, I don't I don't catch any of that. And it's like, that's the whole intention of the fucking movie. How, how do you not? Whereas like a lot of the anti-hero stuff where you're not supp- really supposed to like the protagonist of the film or of the series. Looking at you, Rick and Morty. But because they're. Because, like, it feels like, it's, I'm not going to say it glorifies bad people, but it feels like it shines a light on these bad behaviors. And for some reason, people pick up on these behaviors and relate so heavily to them. And I'm like, this is giving incel. Well, <laughs> like, both? That's, okay, that's a, probably a generalization, but I'm not wrong. But both of these movies, both Fight Club and American Psycho, show you how different aspects of society can warp the male gaze and the male persona. Mm-hmm. How males act according to society. And you literally have male fans loving these movies for the exact same reason these movies are telling you not to act the way you're acting. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, yeah, it just blows my fucking mind. Yeah, no, I. There's just, I feel like there's so much that, I keep, I always say that, I feel like there's not really much to digest from this film other than, like, don't be this guy, but it feels like a lot of times, this, at least in society with this, it feels like, oh yeah, you had the massive protagonist of the film, therefore, oh, we're supposed to like this character, we're supposed to like emulate and idolize this character i'm like no i don't think that's the point of what mary heron's trying to do but i can see where it comes off as that but 
is I feel like it's a satire on what like Wall like on stuff specifically like Wall Street and like the very toxic culture of Wall Street during that time, trying to basically tear each other down in order to you know get a leg up and to try to get the you know the biggest uh you know close the biggest deal to get the biggest whatever and i feel like there's a lot of there's like a pinnacle of the 80s is wall street it feels like mm-hmm. like oh like when it comes to like 80 i guess 80s culture like during that time period it feels like it's you know t- talking about wall street like the aesthetics of the 80s in that terms or i feel like this film is a mixture of both and i just artistically i really appreciate it and but i also kind of found myself kind of hating it because of the main of the uh, main character mm-hmm. but also appreciating the fact that i was allowed to be able to hate this character and hate this film because of it well but i can still see it i can still see the artistic value in it he doesn't alter things for the better he's more like his own antagonist well the protect yeah it, but He's also the protagonist, as in like the base form of a protagonist is that they're the main character. They're not necessarily the good guys, but you're right. The protagonist is someone who is the focus of the film, and the focus of the film is definitely on Mister Fucking Bateman. Yeah, but like I said, he's not he's not the good guy though. He's yeah. not the one you're rooting for. He's the one who's basically he he's the protagonist and the antagonist Mm -hmm. he's the protagonist in the sense that you're focusing on this person his man versus himself but he's the antagonist in the fact that every little thing that he does is slowly eating away at him and he's losing sanity as the film goes on and it's basically all because he is trying so hard to fit in he even says that, op- like, openly mm-hmm. towards the beginning of the film is, like, he just wants to fit in. That's all he wants. There's not a, he even says there's, like, there's not a true person. Patrick Bateman is just a, 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 a line, character, a character that he plays. No idea is his own. Every little thing is, you know, made up, fabricated. Every little thing that he does as far as, like, workout routines is simply to make his physical body acceptable to be that perfect male form basically he's what you're saying is that he's a p- pound of flesh that hides behind a would you would he be more of a sociopath or more of a psychopath sociopath. In this, in- sociopath because towards the end of the film it's realized that he's done nothing he's thought about it but everything that we've seen in this film he hadn't done yeah no the way that that's the difference between Fight Club and here, is that everything in, that happens in Fight Club, I guess you can say is real, in terms of, like, things actually happen mm-hmm. that are permanent. Mm-hmm. When it comes to American Psycho, this film shows that it's, when you realize it, I think it's a, it's a basically a character study. It's a well, character study kind of film where everything you realize is like in his is in his imagination he imagined all of the fantastical deaths all of the sensationalized you know drugs and all of the everything around him feels like it's just in his head but he actually doesn't really do you know those things but which, he thinks he does because it's a break from that false character 
Mm. That's what gets me is, okay, he obviously has some sort of mental illness. But is it to the extremes that we see in this film? Like he was born that way to that extreme? Or is it his uh, his need to fit into society that casually breaks him down to that extreme mental illness? So, so basically, mm-hmm. is society helping in his mental, or not helping, but like causing that mental break? You never know. Can mental illness be compared to society, or can society be the cause of mental illness? I feel like in certain aspects, yes. But also, it does feel like sometimes when it comes to um, mental illness, is that it may develop over time Mm -hmm. due to outside forces, but I think also there is some innate mental illnesses that we don't really see yeah. until something brings it out. Yeah, well... So, it could be either of those. Well, my whole thing, because he obviously has a mental illness, just hands down, mm-hmm. that, that's there. But, I think it's his innate need to be perfect, according to society, that slowly brings out that, say, uh, that psychotic side of him that allows him to have a quote-unquote release. But I also don't think that's even him. I think that's just a extreme manifestation of breaking away from society. I think the only time you really see Patrick Bateman is when he's talking about music and when he brings up his... Uh, there's two parts in the film where he brings up um, uh, the, the dickwad with the slick back hair. He, he says something about a, a Jewish character or a Jewish guy and he's like, okay, enough, cool it with the anti-Semitic uh, marks. That's, to me, that's bad. Like, you don't see that hardly ever in the film. Mm. You see his psychotic side. You see his side where he's trying to fake, where he's constantly lying, where he's trying to be perfect. But you only see this twice where he brings up a social commentary. So I think that's Patrick Bateman. That's really him. Mm. I think his love for music is really him. Everything else is either an over-exaggeration of being perfect or releasing away from society. Mm. not being perfect so considering mary heron wrote and directed this well it's also based off of a book too Mm, based off of a book but do you think considering that you know she basically wrote the screenplay and directed the film that it gives a different point of view to the male gaze to what society thinks of men because this is a perspective that's technically coming from someone who's not identifiable as a man, who doesn't identify as a man. I definitely think it's mm. it, it's a experience that she probably had, you know, because when you read the book, the book is mainly focused on. I mean, it's pretty much t like, oh word for word. It's almost word for word, but you definitely with the film version get a more perspective on how women could interpret like you you can basically see that mary had experiences with guys like this Mm. with that over demanding you know women should be submissive you know the narcissistic kind of narcissistic i don't like that outfit you need to wear a short skirt and some heels and just says it so like he says it just so matter-of-factly and for them to like listen to what he says and i 
do not wish to be that kind of person. Oh, whatsoever. At I mean, all. he's even he's even like he, it has to be perfect. Like he his fiance, who is Reese Witherspoon, who play or Reese Witherspoon is playing her. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like um, a, a Liz. Not even gonna lie, I only got like a few names out of it. <laughs> I this is the first time I usually get all the names, but this is the first time where. I can't really remember half the characters. There's so names. many names. There's so many names and so many different aliases that it, it was hard for me to keep up with who's who. And but you know what though? I think speaking of that, let's talk about this Paul Allen fellow. Well, before we get to that, I, I had a point. Um, point. He he wants everything to be perfect. Mm-hmm. He has a fiance. But she's not perfect. He's having an affair with this chick who's almost perfect, but she's addicted to drugs. Uh, even when he picks up the prostitutes, which probably never happened, but when he goes and picks up the prostitutes, he has to give them perfect names and they have to act in a perfect way, perfect poses, you know, going to film y'all having said, but it has to be my scenario. It, it Everything has to be the way I want it. And if that doesn't happen, I'm going to lose my fucking mind i think actually you know what you're right because i feel like also a lot of outside forces i.e the things that he saw on the television while he's doing his routine kind of influences his perspective as well Mm -hmm. because the amount of porn and horror movies that he saw not saying that any of that like should technically influences anybody it just influenced him and it kind of goes to show how he really was using, like, you know, lesbian porn and... Well, it wasn't even, it wasn't even just lesbian porn. It was, they were having... It, it, it's funny, because he was watching a film, or had a film on in the background while doing things, and it was a threesome. So what mm-hmm. happens next is he's constantly trying to have a threesome. Whether mm-hmm. he gets the prostitutes or he he gets uh, picks up some chick at the bar and then tries to get, he's trying to have a threesome. And then the next time is he's watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. So what happens after he... that? He kills a chick with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the those were kind of foreshadowing moments in Again. that were in the happy events of the film. On top of that, it does feel like his that he was definitely influenced by I guess certain forms of media. Well, again, it harkens to the whole society influencing mm-hmm. how you act. Yeah, it kind of goes into it. And you can tell that he already had something going on by himself, basically from one of the first scenes after he basically recites his whole routine to us like a fucking beauty uh, YouTuber. Which Christian Bell did. During oh, during the filming, every... God. Yeah, during the filming, every single morning, he did that routine. He was very committed to this role. Yeah. And oh, another thing was um, there were other people that were supposed to play uh, Patrick Bateman other than Christian Bell, ooh. but he literally called them up. Like, one was uh, Ewan McGregor. He called him up and urged him to back out because this was his role. You know what? I appreciate Christian Bell for that. <laughs> I really do. Because that man is committed. Mm-hmm. Take note, Jarletto. <laughs> oh, ma- I'm rubbing off on you. I'm so happy. <laughs> so it just <laughs> it just show goes to show 
considering that Jared Leto is in this movie as Paul Allen, as the one of the main subjects, I feel like, of Bateman's just envy and hate. Because he has a lot of envy for the people in his office. At, and it feels like that. Down to, oh, you have these kinds of business cards. And it's just, that felt like so insignificant. But it's also like, I guess considering this is the 80s, I can see how business cards were used as some form of status, I guess. Well, in that industry. It's not only that, it's such a man thing. So To size them up? Yeah. No, okay, so those business cards look identical. Almost identical. Yeah. There's a few little subtle changes, but almost identical. However, they know the difference, and they know which one's better than the other. That's such a fucking man thing to do. Whether you're talking about vehicles, whether you're talking about homes or anything. It's just macho, manly men feel like they have to size each other up to the minute little details and they they literally took something as minute as a piece of paper that has your name and phone number on it mm. and made them look identical but just slightly different enough to where those macho manly men will know the difference it was just <laughs> so weird looking at that because i was like bruh what's the deal they look almost the same like, I can understand, I guess, the different kinds of fonts and whatnot, or the cardstock that's used, or the color of said cardstock, blah de blah de blah but it just goes to show, like, you're right, they want to size men up, like, men want to size other men up to see who's, I guess, the alpha male, and you know what, there's, like, this uh weird trend right going on right now with these alpha male podcasts, and... It's like weird. It talks about the almost the exact same shit that like defines the Bateman and defines these kinds of characters and just makes it weirdly accessible in the form of a podcast. It's like, oh, you have to do this in order to be loved by a woman. Oh, you shouldn't treat women like this. Oh, you should act like this, that, like that. And it just goes to show how prevalent these kinds of things are almost 40 years later. You're just like, why the fuck does it really matter? But it's like the fact that all of the shit just happens to happen all the time. Like all of these like toxic ass men that feel like you have to spread their toxic venom everywhere. And they think they're gods. They think they're right. They think they had this fucking god complex that Bateman has. And you're just like, bitch, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And. No, it's basically, uh. we've become Fight Club, the more I think about it, because it is, it's these men coming out and saying, society is telling you not to be a man, you need to be a man. It's fucking Fight Club. That, that It's a movie that came out in the late 90s talking about this exact issue on how stupid it is, and how if you call, if you allow society to force you to not feel like a man, and then have some outside force be like, you need to be a man. You mm-hmm. could cause some fucking damage. Literally. I mean, they took it to the extreme where, like, they fucking blew up buildings and shit. But no, what you're doing is causing damage because who cares if you're the nicest little sweetheart in the world? You're still a fucking man, dude. 
If you want to be a man, be a fucking man. Don't have some other macho manly dude tell you to be a man and, and, and tell you a certain ways to be a man. There However is no you want to act. If you're a man and you want to act a certain way, guess what? You're still a fucking man. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's... I feel like that's part of why if it like why um movies like this exist is that like because masculinity is so honestly the whole concept of gender itself is just become so just globalized and has already been a you know is already like a social construct but i think it's because that now people are seeing how much of a social construct gender actually is that there's so much pushback from people who don't understand that gender is a social construct and and they go back and be like oh these aren't my times oh these people are so soft and kind of shit no we're not it's like no one's really getting soft everyone's just like realizing that all of this shit's fucking made up well the whole everything is fucking made up Oh, we are living in a fucking illusion. Yeah, people are realizing it's okay to be yourself. And I and that's people have a problem with that because society has told you if you are such and such, this is how you need to act. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. You don't need to act any way other than how you want to. And the another thing that did kind of gripe me for like five minutes actually like 20 minutes actually half of the film was the <laughs> fact that like this was a very white ass film yeah but then i realized you know what considering this is the mind of a man like patrick bateman i'm kind of glad Be- you know why because this either way he's gonna show that he's like some kind of there's some kind of racism going on over there mm. even though like i guess he's obviously anti-semi anti semi whatever well but again i don't think he is i think i I think the character kind of comes off as that it comes off as everything else It's because he's trying so hard to be like the other guys mm -hmm. the other guys definitely are i mean you can just hear from their dialogue i mean the way they act their mannerisms and everything but i think he himself doesn't want to be like that but he's putting on a a false uh, he's putting on one hell of a front yeah but it's just the fact that there are no people of color at all in this film. Like there's that one homeless guy, but he's quickly killed. Yeah, and it makes the makes it even worse. Yeah, and and honestly, I think he's yeah. the second victim too. At least he's not the first, but he is the second victim. He he's very close. He's an early victim, but it's like he's the why, first one you see. Yeah, but why? I was like, why is the only like person of color, let alone black person? you see is a homeless man who's actually seems like it's very nice and just down on his uh luck and he's just like really really mary heron but well, at the same time i'm like i'm glad because if any other black folks got killed i would have been like <laughs> zero out of five never doing this shit again well i also <laughs> i also think you have to take the film in the eyes of those type of people the and, patrick batemans and then the fact that it's also for 1987 too well, yeah 87 but in the eyes of patrick bateman it's probably white people are the ones that belong in business suits where you know black people are homeless and don't have jobs because they probably drink 
and is, women yeah. have and women work at desk jobs and as secretaries or just homebodies that take care of wedding planning. Because if you notice, even the women are step back. I mean, you you have the a few that he picks up that are models, and then um, Jean that has um, his, is his secretary. Secretary, and then everyone have... else is what? What are their jobs? What whoever? So uh, whoever Reese Witherspoon plays. Yeah, I don't think she has a job. I just think she's living off daddy's money. I wish. But like, that's the thing though. Is I think you're literally having to look at this as if a cis white, white man, man in the 80s would see the world and it's also basically all that he really sees so it makes it makes sense do i like it fuck no 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 but it makes a lot of sense and it kind of adds on to how the artistic uh value of the film and what it's trying to represent so i get it but man is the fact that we talk, yeah, we're talking about this Paul Allen dude, which is played by Jared Leto. <laughs> and the fact that, like, the vast majority of his envy and or, like, his disgust, as stated in the film, is directed at Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as if, like, you can tell the more that the film goes on. And then after that next morning, when, you know, he goes on his rampage rampage quote-unquote that paul allen is someone that he envied so much that he i guess he kind of was in competition with for so long that he just kind of um imagines this whole scenario almost because of him Mm -hmm. it feels like all because of his competition with paul allen because he is such a prominent character and Paul Allen is living rent free in Patrick Bateman's mind. Yeah, then that's and, what and this movie gives, and it's all because Paul Allen can get reservations that Patrick Bateman can't. He has a better business card than he does. Has a better apartment. Um, it know what it is? It's because Paul Allen didn't know his name, mistaked him for someone else every time, every single time. And which I that happens. That. A, that's that happens a lot. If you've noticed, there's quite a few people other than his circle that confuse him for someone else. And it, it feels like, yeah, it feels like that's why this <laughs> everything feels so conflated in this film and so exaggerated it's because everybody considers him to be a fucking loser, yeah. to be a nobody. And But then when they yeah. see him in person, it's because he's got that fake mask on. That they're like, okay, this obviously isn't that loser Bateman. You're that Marks Davis guy. That's it. That they either Davis or uh, Marcus dude. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the, like, what did Patrick Bateman do before, like, do before he started, like, trying to transform himself? Because it feels like there's a little bit more backstory that we don't know about Bateman, about his past, and, like, did he physically transform himself from, you know, the exercise, the um, the vast amount of skincare products that he used, all of the different things that he did to get to this point? And it, it, it just feels like ultimately mental illness plus insecurities equals mass murders inside my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mass murders, too. Dude, they ramped it up at the end. The fuck? 
where he just goes on a killing spree, shooting everyone in sight, blowing up the cop cars. The shit. freaking cop cars got blown up. I was like, that's how you know his insanity was going, it was slipping all the way back to like zero mm-hmm. because ain't no way in hell he was gonna, he like was gonna kill. Oh, hopefully that means he didn't actually kill the, kill the uh, dog. See, I hope he didn't actually kill the dog. The weird thing is, is I it's odd. So you, mm-hmm. you sit there and you go back and forth. Like, obviously, some things never happen. Like, Paul Allen's not dead because Homeboy saw or ate dinner with Paul Allen. Before obviously, he went to London. When he, yeah, well, as he was in London. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you're obviously not going to blow up a cop car by shooting it with a 9mm a couple of times. That's obviously not going to happen. But... When he picked up the chick from the, the beginning, they didn't even give her a name. He just met her on the sidewalk. And he goes to get his sheets clean. And it, it's red all over. Just the sheets, just blood-stained red. Oh, he had a cranberry juice. Yeah. Was it cranberry juice or did he actually kill that chick? I don't and even also, know. And also, where did the lock of hair go? Because he put it in his pocket and then it just kind of never comes up again. Did he actually- Wait, you talking about that blonde, the one, uh, model girl? Yeah. Honestly, see I'll... that's the thing. Did he actually kill some people, or didn't he? Was it all in his head, or did he actually kill some people? And he can't distinguish what all is real and what none is real. Honestly, if he did kill people, he honestly kind of got away with it because even from himself, even from himself, <laughs> because no one believes him because he everyone thinks he's a fucking loser. Um, his own lawyer, which I don't think was even his lawyer in the first place. Yeah. Like, believed him, and I guess that friendship was over. Um, Paul Allen doesn't even live where he was supposed to live. Mm-hmm. That was, um, that was, a, that was an empty apartment until recently, because they were just now doing showings. Mm-hmm. And um, it just makes you wonder, was all of this in his head? Because, you see, every other, every other bit of Patrick Bateman's body, Except for his head, like well, his in in her, in her mind, because you see every everything else. You think that was part of the, just the point, of everything. The fact that like half the movie he was naked. I think it was eye candy. I mean, not well. It was a little bit of eye candy, <laughs> but no, I. It, I, <laughs> I <laughs> it's just funny seeing, uh, Christian Bell. Ass naked, running around, bloodied and with a chainsaw, with um fucking sneakers on. I was like, <laughs> "You're fucking people in the bed with sneakers on, sir." He seems like the type of person that would keep his socks on at least. See, socks are okay. Fuck it, but fucking shoes. No, nah, socks are slippery. It depends. But um, <laughs> go ahead. Um, no, nah, it was just. Yeah, I- I'm still on the whole, was it real or was it fake? Or was some real, was some fake? You'll never know. And, uh, the thing. and I also like that final line uh, where he says, this confession has meant nothing. So, if he actually killed people, that means he confessed to it, but no one cares. If he didn't kill people, that means he is fucking going crazy, and no one cares. Either way... No one ultimately gives a shit about him. And, uh, yeah. And it feels like the only felt parts that felt real was his literal mental breakdown. 
after like after everything because you can t- like it, it feels like the tr- we got back to real Bateman the next morning when he basically <laughs> called Gene in a crazy mood and was all like, "Yeah, no, I don't think I'm gonna make it." And then he just you just hear all the shit from the prior parts of the movie coming back out. And Genus is all like, what the fuck? And then he sees, she, I'm just wondering, like, what made her go into his desk to pull out his uh, agenda? I mean, I guess, you know, considering that secretary stuff, yeah, but like, when you, it just, that part felt weird, but that's the only it part. It felt weird, too, because she looked in, like, right at the camera. That was another thing that was weird, if you notice, because he calls her from the payphone, and basically tells her to cancel all the appointments, you know, I, I you know, I need to do this, I need to do that, and she's like, are you okay? I can barely understand you, and he's like, look, you don't understand, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm going through some shit right now. And that conversation ends, she hangs up the phone and looks right at the camera. <laughs> and then the next time you see her, she's going through his stuff. So it's like... It was like an office moment. Yeah, but... Does it, it, it leads it leads to like what is this film like what's the perspective of this film did any of it really happen and i think that's what mary heron wanted us to think i think that's the point none of this really happened but if you really think it happened you're fucking crazy if you think none of this happened you're boring what is the real definition of masculinity what is the real definition of success what is the real definition of feeling like you're on top and and when kind of is makes... society going to care about mental illness <laughs> never and <laughs> it, it also i guess considering it's the 1980s no one really sees the signs of mental illness until it you know, either someone's either severe and profound, or someone dies, or or you're drawing dismembered bodies in mm-hmm. your planner, <laughs> or you know, drawing dismembered bodies right next to your plate. On a, you, on yeah, a he did that too. And I was like, um, they... and no one noticed. That's another thing. Is like no one either cares or notices. The only one that notices is Jean when she goes snooping. He's literally drawing something right there in front of his fiance, and nothing. And she doesn't really care. He tells the girl she's fucking ugly and he wants to slit her throat. Doesn't care. Here's your drink. Go on, sir. What are you into? Murders and execution. Oh, really? So you're into mergers and uh, acquisitions? acquisitions? Like, no one... That's a, a beautiful thing. No one cares about the signs of mental illness. You can literally blatantly say something straight to their face. And they don't care, or they just look at you like you're weird and call the police. But they won't even get cared to that point because I think it also shows in that very first shot that I really liked in the club when he was looking at him, it looks like he was looking at himself in the mirror when he was telling him all that stuff to that that bartender, which did not deserve that level of um, verbal abuse at all. But yeah, I, I just feel like he was t- telling himself that, and it's just comes off yeah. as telling the girl even though like it looks like he was looking at himself in the mirror and 
honestly, the use of mirrors <laughs> are used impeccably in this film, especially with like him looking at himself every time he's trying to uh, to have this threesome that was very awkward. And I felt bad for old girl. Like, she was trying to be a woman in the night, trying to mind her fucking business. Uh-huh. But yet, she ended up going to the hospital. I, I don't even want to know what the fuck kind of kinky ass shit that he did to they try to fucking dismember her. Well, the or o- anybody. The other one had three scratch marks on her shoulder. Like, deep gash marks on her shoulder. And on top of that, she was bleeding from her nose. They're just like, bitch, what the fuck? And they still took the money. Like, they didn't ask anything. They're just like, oh, yeah, this is the thing. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. But, I, like, taking, going back, going back outside of the, just all the the culture of it, just as the frames look, I think it was a very beautifully shot film. Like, that, that, of course it's beautifully shot, but it's also, like, very very just it is almost like Hitchcockian in a way it's almost like a modern version of what Hitchcock would have done yeah in you know back in the 80s not even in the 80s back in like the 50s or 60s mm-hmm. and and I think I really like the way that Mary Heron kind of took those I feel like was inspirations and took it to her own kind of you know vibe all her own aesthetics um i really like the juxtaposition between his apartment and the outside world his apartment's very bland very white very uniform everything's squared off everything's perfectly symmetric and then you go outside to the real world and it well looks like the real world yeah showing his showing his need for perfection but in a world where perfection only exists in your mind. You know, out of all of these um, shows that we've seen this month that were directed by women, this is the most out, it's the furthest away from all the other films. And not just because, you know, almost all the other films uh, feature women prominently in not only the artwork, but in the story itself. This one is so far removed from the rest of these films in a way it's like it takes is it like it feels like it feels like Captain Bigelow like wanted to make a horror movie but said fuck it to making horror movies. I, I get what you're saying because every other film has focused on women being the focal point where this mm-hmm. one's the, the whole focus is me and every every female in this film is put on the back burner like they're not even they're almost not relevant mm-hmm. even and so i i get what you're talking I, I get where you're coming from yeah for sure but i think that's also to its benefit that this mo- film is so far removed from everything else we saw because this is basically a woman's take on a very masculine story to where it's like, oh yeah, women can do more than just, you know, very melodramatic or very feminine-focused stories or, you know, stories about stuff that women go through. They can write and take inspiration from very, very traditionally masculine things and, you know, tell those kinds of stories as well. 
And um, like I said, I feel like this is something that Captain Bigelow would have done phenomenally in. It had, you know, I think she's still doing stuff, but I think if she wasn't working on Hurt Locker <laughs> or like whatever she was doing in the late nineties, early thousands, I feel like that would have been this would have been a perfect opportunity for her. But it's also very good that someone different mm-hmm. has done it because this goes to show how women can do just as much, if not better than men when it comes to showing them their own stories. It shines a light on like, oh, I'm not a man, but I can tell a masculine story just as much as just as good, if not better, than a man himself. Well, it shows a different perspective mm-hmm. of it. So so with um, Fight Club, that was directed by a man. This is directed by a, a woman. It, it's two, it, it's the same Kind of, it's, almost, it's the same theme mm-hmm. almost it, it kind of, it deals with toxic masculinity of a man but it comes in a much different perspective and i think this one is more on an emotional and how society is very damaging towards men who are constantly trying to be that perfect male and while fight club has that very gritty is like overtly gritty and dark in its presentation, American Psycho comes off as cleaner, more clean cut, and I'm trying to remember. Did um no oh boy he was in a um a call center right hmm? in Fight Club, Fight Club the main ca- main character was he was yeah, he in a like a he was call in center? a cubicle office style thing it feels like that was funny Jared Leto was also in Fight Club Jared the I fact find, that I just find that funny it's just the fact that Jared Leto keeps on come bringing being brought up and keeps on coming in these kinds of conversations does he really want us to watch morbius or no because <laughs> that's what it's starting to sound like I that i need to watch morbius i have to nick wants to go see him. oh god it's yeah, gonna be a great train wreck i'm here for it but <laughs> i just really feel like seeing this kind of film especially directed by a woman and the fact that Unless you knew, you probably wouldn't think about it. I think that's both a detriment and a and a benefit to having someone like Mary Heron take the helm of not only writer but director. Mm-hmm. Is like I said before, it takes the um, all of these masculine, these traditionally masculine, these like old school themes and just kind of brings it into a whole new perspective. Well, it brings it to the surface. I don't mm-hmm. even think it's a new perspective. I think. Anyone who has the knowledge to see what certain things uh, equate to can see that the mm-hmm. type of person that Patrick Bateman in is is not healthy whatsoever. But if you're that type of person, or you're even remotely close to that style of living, you're never going to see this. You're, mm-hmm. you're never going to. You'll you'll come up with something like. Fight Club, where society's bringing men down to a, a not masculine level, and you have to fight the oppressor. Where this, coming from a, a female's perspective, is much more nuanced, much more emotional. It's what you probably actually feel trying to be that fake persona of perfect. Do you think it's a? Uh, do you think women directors have to be more nuanced and emotional? 
I don't when think... it comes to the presentation. No, I don't think they have to. I just think they're better at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Again, every film that we have done this month has touched on a certain topic and just fucking expanded on it. And You're right. I just, I just think uh, women directors are better. Women creators are better at bringing emotions to the surface. I, that's just me. I, 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 there's few men directors. I think Spike Jones does a good job with um, bringing emotions out in his films. But it's just, it's every single female director, there's emotions that they will bring out. As long as the studio doesn't get involved, like fucking Wonder Woman 2, I think, I think that they just, women just do a much better job at breaking, breaking down to bare bones emotions. Taking Patty Jenkins out the situation, I agree. I love everything I love me that some you Patty. just said. No, I love me some Patty. I do. I think Wonder Woman, the first one's really good is really good until the studio got involved at the end, and then the second one is just, it's shit. And I think even she knows it's shit. <laughs> oh God! And think and I, I just feel like you know taking in account all of the other films that we watch in the horror, does it feel like it changes your perspective? now seeing like all the stuff that we watched before perspective on what just i guess in in what on you know i guess what different genders can provide for different you know forms of horror like does it because it doesn't feel like more men can you know they can handle like the slasher like beat them up kind of vibe as you know women directors can make more inherently scary films I would say these set of films are a lot less bloodier than, than what we have seen from our male counterparts. Um, other than drawing from emotions, no. I, I think, because even um, Jennifer Kent made a terrifying, creepy little horror film that I think could, you know, she could stand right next to fucking James Wan as far as taking a nice, solid, haunted house, scary monster movie and mm. make it fucking work and i think jennifer's body does a really good job with campy you know it's got some gore in it i think that held, holds up to the camp i just think really what i think is where men do better as far as like a concept goes where like the conjuring it's a solid haunted house movie that's about it the babadook is a scary haunted house slash monster movie that deals with depression. That that deals with something you don't want to talk about ever. It deals about burying the past, never bringing up your emotions. Mm. Jennifer's body. It it's not just a campy little gory horror movie about your friend turning into a monster. It's about toxic relationships and what women go through in high school trying to please their best friend, even though trying to please that person you love with all your heart could be damaging for you i just think women directors are so much better at drawing out emotions mm. from what i can just from what i can tell so far mm. that's that's my only thing i think i think they can stand toe and toe as far as concepts with the horror itself like i think women can make great slasher films i think women can make great haunted house movies you know whatever genre of horror you want to go at but i think underneath whatever 
that genre is, you're going to get an emotional story from it. Mm. Okay, okay, I can get that. I can get behind all that. Any other, like, thoughts about the film? My final thoughts, um, unfortunately, I can relate to Mr. Patrick Bateman in a weird, in, in a not fun way. So I was sort of like him in high school, or yeah, mainly not not really high school. It, it was pre high school. I would say like seventh, eighth grade, you know, freshman, sophomore, that that kind of where I put on a false persona to be popular, to be cool, to to fit in. Uh, I would tell fabrications. I would tell lies. I was not who I was whatsoever. And even later on in high school, I wasn't who I was. I just smoked pot and stopped caring. I still never, it wasn't until a good bit in my early 20s before I became who I was happy of being. So I actually can relate to Patrick in a, in that way of society has a way of making you feel like if you're not like everyone else, you have to change yourself. Mm. And I was very susceptible to that. So I relate to him in that way. Um, other than that, the film is okay. I like it. I like it well enough. Um, I get the message. I get the theme. I can relate to the story and I can relate to that idea of society forcing you to play a part. Um, but overall, it it's just okay. I wouldn't say I love it. So I would say three and a half stars. Maybe mm, okay, three and a half. that's fair. Um, I was going to give about a good two and a half to three, mostly because while I understand it, I understand all of the messages coming out of the film, and I appreciate it. I would never watch this film ever again. <laughs> I would never. No, because whenever it's just like, I feel like I, I visibly groan and cringe whenever I hear like all of the things that they like, all of the dialogue that was heard and just the way that this person has basically felt and dealt and what he's done, even if it's in his head, I can't really get behind that. And I think that's the point. And while that is the point, I still don't fucking like it. And um, other other than that, while I appreciate this film, I don't really, I don't think I can ever really put it in my top five of anything. Yeah, I I, I can't, I can't, I, I th- just can't. I'm kind of on the same boat with you. Like, I think it's an important film. I think people should watch it at least once. But I'm I'm on the same boat. I've never got the huge fandom for this movie. It's the anti-hero fandom that basically is almost like that to like a fucking alt-right incel pipeline. But that's another conversation for another podcast for another day. (laughs) So, yeah, my final thought, two and a half out of five. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mary. You had a very important film. Mm -mm. Yeah, that brings us overall to a solid just three. Just Three. Three, three for the podcast overall. And um, I can tell when you said there was going to be divisive because it's just like, mm, mm. yeah, it, I I didn't know if you were going to love it, hate it, what have you, if you were going to get like the messages at all. But 
for me, it's just like I I love what they tried to do, and I actually do appreciate the film for a good bit. It's just goddamn, I hate the, the I hate most of the people that love this movie. I hate most of the characters in this film. <laughs> I that's kind of what it is. On top of the culture that surrounds a lot of films like this, a lot of media like this, I can't get behind it. Right? I just can't get behind it. All right. So, um. Oh shit! It's the last film of Women's History yeah. Month. Yeah. So how would oh! you rank all our films that we have seen this month? Oh Good, my sir. god! Is as a reminder, we have seen A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. We have seen Jennifer's Body. We have seen Prevenge. We have seen The Babadook. And we just got done watching American Psycho. Oh my god. I don't even know how to rate I, I know what to, how to rate it. I mean, okay, so... The, my t- bottom two would have to be between Prevenge and... Oh my god. Yeah, it'll have to be between Prevenge and... Um, American Psycho. So, okay. of course, those are going to be in my bottom two. Take whatever order you want. My mid, my middle, since there's five of them. Let's say Revenge is over American Psycho. I think you like Revenge. I, 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 I think once I realized what it's all about, I liked it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Revenge, that American Psycho, that those are at the bottom. In the middle, I would have to say, hmm. Mmm, I don't know. You know, I'm gonna say the Babadook is in the middle. Is in the middle. What? It's an artistically classic film. After all you said about Jennifer's body, after all the shit I said about Jennifer's body, I relate a little bit more to Jennifer's body than the. Actually, I relate to both in the way. So those are gonna be my 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 (laughs) middle two. My number one, a girl walks home alone at night, because I feel like while is in a different language i felt like i was able to understand that need to just get the fuck away mm-hmm. that need to just to be different to be to like is to feel the need to be able to just leave a place that drains you be able to just have that person that maybe un- as unconventional as it is that that can lead you to that out. Plus, I just like I like the art house feel of it, and maybe I may have got lost in the story of a uh, a girl walks home all, home alone at night. But the way that it made Iran look, I just I can't compare. Yeah. So I guess from one to five, a girl walks home alone at night. Jennifer's body slash you know what? I'm gonna just have those dudes be a toss up. Jennifer's body slash um. The Babadook. Um, four will be Prevenge, and five will be American Psycho. Right. That's I'm, about that's my final rating. I'm pretty pretty much the same way, but I'm swapping uh, Jennifer's body and Babadook. <laughs> so yeah, American Psycho's bottom bottom tier. Uh, Prevenge, I thought it was funny. Um, I liked it a little bit, but I wouldn't say I loved it. Uh, Jennifer's body, it's it's cool. I like it. I mean, it's one of those movies that, like, if you put it on, I'm like, hell yeah. But I don't think <laughs> I'll ever actually actively put it on. Uh, the Babadook I love. I, I love The Babadook so fucking much. It's just oh, it's so good. But I was pleasantly surprised with The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. 
I thought that was one of the sweetest romantic movies I've ever seen in a while. Honestly, and I agree. And its whole theme and message of loneliness and being stuck in a place that you have to escape, but you feel like you can't escape without you know someone else, and then actually finding that someone else. And again, that ending. I love that ending so much where there's no dialogue. It's just her smiling for the first time as they drive off. It it gets me, man. I love that shit. It works. It, it, it works just works. So good. Uh, so yeah, that's American Psycho, Prevenge, Jennifer's Body, The Babadook, and then finally uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Once again, guys, we've made it through another month. Thank you. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done it without y'all. <laughs> And let's keep the ball rolling, because as we roll into April, what's it going to be for April? So, our <laughs> theme is Cursed Objects. Ooh, we're going into more, as they say, amorphous topical things. Yeah. So, I am looking forward to next week's film, which, uh, have you seen it? I have not seen any of the films no, I haven't seen any of the films. I've heard of three out of the four of them, but I've I've never seen any of these films, so I'm excited to see how it's gonna go, uh, how scared I may be, but I'm excited to see and play. Uh, what to say? Where's Wado? But with items, like kind of playing like I Spy. Well, <laughs> I'm definitely next week's film. I'm definitely looking forward to the apple scene. And if anyone has seen Oculus, directed by Mike Flanagan, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, dear God. I'm not going to look this up. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to shit my pants. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Mike Flanagan, amazing horror director. He's done uh, Ouija, Origin of Evil. He's also done Hush, uh, Gerald's Game. He did The Haunting of Hill House, that miniseries on Netflix. He's an amazing horror director. I'm just letting you know, I am not watching anything Ouija related. <laughs> not at all. Well, you know that right now. But other than that. Yeah, so join us next week as we will be watching Mike Flanagan's Oculus. Um, you should also check out all of our other episodes. We have them in a nice, neat little playlist here on YouTube. We also have them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast fix. And, and also, you should totally look us up on all of our social medias. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I'm still working on TikTok. We're getting there. But also, we also have our cute little letterbox. And we also have all of our uh, social medias in a little link tree where we're going to be, uh, I'm going to try my best to keep it more organized this time because link tree is so weird. But that's where you're gonna uh see a lot of all of our social medias, all of our um our platforms as well. And just, you know, like, subscribe. Yeah. Try to rate us if you can. Support us as much as you can. Hit that bell notification because we need y'all support. We really do. Please um, give us feedback. Yeah, comment, because Jay loves that shit. I eat that shit up for breakfast. It's great for engagement. And I just like it. I like interacting with people. It's fun to do it on social media. So, but yeah, that's that's it for this week. It for this month. Woo! Three months down, man. Woo! We are a quarter of the way through with 2022, y'all. Mm. And I cannot wait to see what the rest of the year is going to bring us. So, 
again, thank y'all so much. Join us next week. But until next time, I've been Heath. And I've been Jay. You've been listening to Host Host of of Horrors. Horrors.